This is our last message, Christ Culture Communion, and today we're dealing with uh, the fear of the Lord. I want to remind us of what this series has been about. It's talking about iniquity, which is where sin becomes systemic, so much so that we don't realize how it affects our thinking, and we can make decisions based on mindsets that aren't actually scriptural mindsets, aren't the mindset of the Lord, and we don't know that we're actively sinning at times because it's just changed the way we view a situation when sin goes septic. You know, when when we get an infection and it goes septic in our body, it means that it gets in the blood. When sin goes septic in culture, then we start to think differently. And when we think in a way that isn't biblical, it means that we're passively participating in sin because we don't even realize that we have a sinful mindset. Sinful just means separated from God. And so that's what we've been talking about. We've gone week through week, week by week through that. And the whole point has been that for those things that are that deeply rooted in our culture, we don't have the ability to recognize them and see them in every moment. So what we need to do is work together to identify this isn't going to lead to freedom for us. This isn't the way we were supposed to be thinking. That's not the way the Bible teaches it. And then we, we can't just fix it. So that's why Christ, in light of culture, we look, at, we look at culture in light of Christ, and then we come back to the communion, and we say, we need you to fix it. We need you to fix. We can't fix this. We need you to fix it. So today, we're talking about the fear of man instead of the fear of God. When we have fear of man instead of fear of God. Uh, in our family, there's two people who wear glasses. I don't know if you knew that. Um, there's two people who wear glasses, and uh, one of them uh, is a little boy, and he and the other little boy are having competitions about who can see better. It's a, it, it, there's, no, there's no getting around who can see better, but when one of the kids goes to the eye doctor, I mean, he can stand way back and read way down in the little stuff, you know, what it says. And I, so he has at least 20-20. You know, that, that uh, phrase 2020 has to do with uh, visual acuity, which you, you probably know what that means. When you stand 20 feet away from something, can you see what, the, what you're supposed to see at 20 feet or what the average person sees at 20 feet? So if I have 2100, that's not good. That means at 20 feet, I can see what most people can see from 100 feet. You know, that's no good. If it's 2010, that means what most people can see at 10 feet, I can see at 20 feet, which is really good. That's how that whole thing works. Uh, wouldn't it be awesome if uh, everyone had 20-20 on every level, not just on a physical level? You know, uh, there's that TV show, 2020. Um, I, I don't know. I don't even know if I've ever watched that TV show. I think it's like a 60 minutes kind of thing. And so it's it, uh, supposedly what it is, is it, it takes a feature piece and gives insight into a, a human interest story. And of course, the reason it would be called 2020 is because you're supposed to, it's supposed to give you better vision around what's going on in this story, like a deeper look at it. You know, 2020 vision in the spiritual sense is what we want to talk about today. What would it look like for us if we could walk into a situation where we're going to be uh, having to make a decision? I have to make a decision about something at work today or a family uh, decision that we have to make. And if I was able to perfectly look at that situation and know not just what's going on in the physical, but to know to have God's eyesight. So instead of looking from, from 20 feet away, I have a decision to make. Or from two days from now, I have a decision to make. What does God see right now looking at that decision versus what do I see? 
Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if each one of us had like 2020 spiritual vision? It'd be an awesome thing. Well, the scriptures talk pretty specifically about this. It tells us how we can have wisdom and how we can see clearly. Psalm 111.10. You can turn there if you want. It's not going to be on the screen. It just says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. You get that? So the fear of the Lord, if I have the fear of the Lord, then I get wisdom. If I practice the fear of the Lord that results in wisdom, if I put that into practice, then I have good understanding. His, and then it says, his praise endures forever. So if I, if I fear the Lord, now all of a sudden I can see what I'm supposed to do. If I walk in that and practice it, then I gain great understanding and then God's praise continues on. That's what it says, okay? One other um, verse to, to kick it off, and that's Proverbs 9.10, also about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So think about what the situation is that you could use God's perspective on right now. What's the perspective in your life or what's the situation in your life or in someone's life close to you that you would love to have God's perspective where you're not just seeing it from your own vantage point, but you have the deep 2020 spiritual insight from God. What is that? And it, what it says right here is it says, knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So in other words, what I need to know is I need to actually see God in this situation because it's knowledge of the Holy One. That's God. So I, it's not knowledge of the situation. It's knowledge of God that allows me to have insight into the situation. Most of the time, if we want to understand a situation more, we gain more and more information about it. That's probably what the 2020 TV show is about, trying to get more information, more background, so you can see more of what's happening. But in this situation, we're told that what we need in order to gain clarity in a situation is not as much more information about the situation, but more knowledge of who God is. And the more knowledge I have of who God is, the more I can accurately see it. So here's our text for today that um, I think really puts this on. It just highlights the whole thing. And um, it's from Exodus, and it's from chapter 20. And guess what verse it is? Yeah, Exodus 20, 20. Okay, so turn with me to Exodus 20. And we're going to be in verse 18. Starting in verse 18, we got to get to verse 20. That's the, the passage. All right. Now, when all the people saw the thunder, they see with their physical eyes, they saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sounds of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. Yeah, let's close our eyes for a second. Let's do this. Let's see this. We've got to use our imaginations. The scriptures are meant to be imagined. Let's, I'm going to read that again. Picture this in your mind's eye that you're there with them. All the people saw the thunder. And the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and stood far off. Okay, you can open your eyes. This is this is looks like an earthquake. We know there's more context than even just this verse. There's dark clouds everywhere. There's crazy sounds that are coming out. Those trumpets, that's not them blowing the trumpets. You know, they're out in the middle of nowhere and there's trumpets blowing. That should freak you out, you know. That'll, that'll do it. 
And so there's trumpets blowing, there's smoke, there's shaking we heard before that we know, we know from another part of it. There's shaking that's happening. The mountain itself is trembling like an earthquake. There's smoke billowing out like a, a volcano. There's lightning striking down. All of this is taking place and they're trembling in fear. And it says they stand far off. Now listen to what they do in response. Verse, and they see all this with their eyes. Verse 19, they said to Moses, you speak to us. And we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. You know, for me, when I first read this, I start laughing because I'm like, yeah. And then I think about it and try to personify, like get inside of that situation myself. And I'm like, I am so there. You know, like, I don't know about you, but there, sometimes we are, are, are very blind to the reality of what's taking place in our life until st- someone steps into our life who can hold us accountable. And then all of a sudden, like you might be putzing around the house, doing whatever, not really thinking about it until your spouse walks in and says like, what are you doing? You know, and all of a sudden there's like, oh, there's somebody watching me, you know? Like I just got caught picking my nose, you know? <laughs> like whatever it is, you know? And there's this, there's this thing that happens when we can live life unaware of the eyes of others, but then when the eyes of others are all all of a sudden there and we didn't know it, oops, you know, and we're aware of things that we weren't aware of because of other eyes on it. Well, how much more is that when all of a sudden we're in the presence of the holy God? And we've been living our lives, doing whatever, you know, and okay, I guess we're doing half decent. And then all of a sudden, God Almighty, and it's the Holy One, which means with nothing unholy, nothing unrighteous about him is all of a sudden there. What happens to us? In the New Testament, Jesus' best friend, John, the beloved disciple, when he sees him after he's been walking with him his whole life and is taken up and sees him in the book of Revelation, it says he falls on his face as though dead. There's something that happens to us in the presence of God where all of a sudden we're aware of things we weren't aware of. So they're like, do not let God talk to us lest we die. So here it is, 2020. That all leads up to our verse. You want 2020 vision? Here it is, spiritual 2020 vision. Moses said to the people, do not fear. This is a command. This is not a request. This is a command. He says, do not fear. Listen to his great encouragement as to why they shouldn't fear. For God has come to test you. Okay. All of a sudden, I'm not afraid. That the fear of him may be before you. That you may not sin. This has always been a verse that is just kind of like, it messes with my head. And there's different translations to it different ways. But what it says is, do not fear because God came to make sure that you're afraid of him. And, and when I say afraid of him, I mean the fear of man, fear of God. We talk about different ways of what the fear of God actually means. But honestly, if you can get real technical and go back into the Hebrew and you can dig these words apart and guess what this, uh, this original Hebrew word means. It means fear. <laughs> That's what it means. The translators did a wonderful job of translating it. They usually do. <laughs> usually preachers don't know more than translators. And fear is what he came to test them about. I want to make sure that you fear me. Why should that be of some sort of comfort 
to the people of Israel when they're flipping out over the fact that they're seeing everything shaking and right because of this. What were they afraid of? Destruction, death, pain. I mean, all those things are scary things. The question is, did they actually fear God? Or did they fear all these consequences? And, wh- and what is going on here is Moses is trying to take a people who have just been oppressed by a tyrannical leader called Pharaoh for hundreds of years. And he's trying to show them that their new leader is not out to hurt them, that he's out to protect them. And he says he wants you to fear him so that you will not sin. Sin leads to destruction. What they need to be afraid of is stepping outside of God's plan for their life. That leads to destruction. But the problem is in their mind, they have for so long been afraid of the tyrannical power of Pharaoh that their assumption is that God is some God who just wants something out of them. And so all the billowing smoke and thunder means, oh my goodness, you know, like God must be out to get me. And what Moses is trying to say is, listen, in essence, I'm going to paraphrase here, God loves you. And he does not want you to do the wrong thing. You need to know that he's stronger than Pharaoh. So that you don't have to worry about what this person's thinking or what that person's thinking or what this person, that it's really important for you that you are singular focused, that you know what God is thinking. And that's your roadmap to freedom and to life. And that's what he's trying to teach you. He's coming to test you to see that you have the fear of the Lord. Now, um, when, when Moses goes up to the mountain and he, he interacts with God and then he comes back down from the mountain in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 13, this is what he says. He says, It is the Lord your God that you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. So this is the command that God brings back. There's only one you're allowed to fear. It's God. And there's only one you're allowed to serve. And the implication is, is that when you fear God, you worship God. When you fear God, you serve God. Think about this. If you walk into a room and there's something or someone you fear, we have a tendency then to serve that thing, don't we? I mean, if there's someone we're intimidated by, then we're kind of like, here's a picture of like intimidation, right? I kind of get down. I'm bowing. I'm bowing. You know, I'm bowing to that. And who I am, in all the fullness of who I am, I'm willing to compress that in order to shrink it so that it fits within what this other person wants. If I fear that person or fear that thing, then I submit myself to it. I serve it. Think about uh, the fear of money. If I fear money, if I fear not having enough, I will begin to serve money. If I fear losing money, I will begin serving money, which means money will begin to be the decision maker of my life. I want to not lose it, and I want to make sure I have enough of it, so I have to make decisions in my life based on the money. So if I fear money, I will serve money, and I will worship money. If I fear God, I will serve God, and I will worship God. I'd like you to think um, 
for a second about what it is that, that you might fear. We all, there, I, there is not anybody, any one of us, who doesn't have things that we fear other than the Lord. If we were, if we were perfectly free from fear, we would be um, holy ourselves, completely and totally holy in, in our actions. So we, we fear other things. What are the things you're tempted to fear? Maybe it has to do with your health. You know, uh, if we fear our health going bad, then we can end up serving our bodies and serving our health. Maybe it's people's opinion, what people think of me. I'm afraid of losing my job. Any of those things. When I'm afraid of people's opinion, when I'm afraid of what people think of me, that means I have to make myself something that works for them. And I begin to serve them. And I begin to, in in a sense, worship them. That's what ends up happening. 2020 vision is this. When our eyes are able to focus appropriately on 2020 vision, when we get locked in and we can see that there's only one opinion that actually matters, that there's only one opinion that matters. I want you to think of this for a second. Why don't we think for a second, what would it look like if in my life I never had to think about anything or anyone else's opinion except what God thought of me? If that was the only thing I ever had to manage, if the only thing that ever I had to factor into my head is what does God want in this situation? Wouldn't that really simplify life? If I didn't have to think about what my boss wanted, if I didn't have to think about what my kids wanted, if I didn't have to think about what the world wanted from me or how the system works, if all I had to think is what does God want from me? I want to suggest to us that that is all we have to think. God can take care of how we love our kids. God can take care of how we serve appropriately at work. But I think this is where sin goes from being sin, where God's telling me to do this, but I want to do what this person wants because I want to be accepted. Where that's the sin. Here's the iniquity. Now catch this. When we get to a place where we think that the way we love God is by pleasing people. That the way I accomplish things for God is by me doing something through people. When people are the means by which I am honoring God, it's backwards. Let me put it to us this way. The way that we love people is by pleasing God. The first and foremost way that I can love my wife is by choosing to submit my life entirely, 100% to the Lord. But there's these situations where with my wife or with a friend or with kids or with others where I'm not necessarily having clear vision in this situation because there's something about me that wants to navigate how to please that person and is not thinking about how to please God. And my assumption is, is that if I can be pleasing to that person, then I'm being kind and nice by doing what they want. So therefore, I'm loving God. When in fact, there's a whole bunch of questions that aren't asked at that point. Which is, is is, is the thing that is pleasing to that person actually what God wants? Because it might not be. It might be that God has something far greater in this situation. 
And I'm just assuming that by being nice and pleasing to them, that, that that's the way to love God. When in fact, loving God and pleasing God is the way to actually love others. All right. I need to get a drink. Can you turn to, well, if you have your um, scriptures, turn to Proverbs 1.7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, not just wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. (coughs) Excuse me. Imagine despising wisdom and instruction. What does that mean? Why would I despise it? Well, because it might make me do something that's very uncomfortable. So if God's perspective in this situation that I'm facing is God's wisdom, the 2020 eyesight, spiritual eyesight, requires things of me that make me uncomfortable, then I don't actually want the insight and I don't want the perspective because I don't want to have to do the thing where I trust God because the whole system that we work in tends to not be based in the fear of the Lord, but in the fear of one another. And so there's kind of social, social contracts we have all over the place that we make with one another, that I do this, you do that, here's how we work with one another. But then God might say, Yeah, but the right thing to do is to do this. Well, I might not want to hear that because that might be weird. It might put me out on a limb. I might have to take risks. There might be all sorts of things if I'm actually seeking God's wisdom. But what this proverb says is that it's the fool that despise wisdom and instruction. This is why. There are are very, very real consequences to not submitting to God. When we don't fear the Lord, there are huge consequences in our life. And those consequences tend to be a lot greater than the consequences of when we don't fear the, uh, when, if I choose not to fear people and do what they want, there is typically consequences. But the consequences of me not fearing God are much greater consequences. It's just that I oftentimes don't see them right away. If I can kind of manage the system with other people, then I'm kind of keeping the peace and everything seems like it's kind of working and my boss thinks this and my my family thinks this and my church thinks this and, you know, we got this going. This is all working and my life's okay. And then Jesus' words from Matthew 10 just invade our lives and they absolutely drop a bomb on that mentality. Let me read them for us. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And that hurts. Those are hard words. Does God want to smoke us in hell? Of course not. That's not the character of our loving God. What we recognize of Jesus is that he is our creator, our designer, our sustainer. He's the one who knows the path that we need to walk on. As a matter of fact, he is the path that we need to walk on. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And what he's saying is, is when we fear what this person wants or what this system says, and I veer off of that path, then I am stepping outside of the presence of God. And when I step outside of the presence of God, there are consequences that go along with that. He is the source of all life. 
He is the source of all wisdom and he is the source of all truth. And when I am not walking with him, I am walking outside of life. I am walking outside of the goodness that he's designed for my life. And that will inevitably have massive consequences, not just on my body, but on my soul, on my mind, on my relationships, because it doesn't function in accordance with God. So here's the the picture. Picture a, a, a little kid who is headed toward a fire and going to play at the fire, you know, roasting s'mores at the fire. Little kid comes over and he goes to put his hand into the fire because it looks great. What does dad do? Well, what if he's far away too? Yells, right? And there's bass in the voice, right? (laughs) No! Don't fear. I've come to test you to make sure that you have the fear of the Lord so that you will not sin. Sometimes God has to remind us that he's in charge and that we need to submit to him and that we need to trust him and not trust what everyone else is saying and not trust what our brains are saying because we don't have 20-20 spiritual vision, but he does. We're going to transition. I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I'm trying to do that. There's two passages that you can go and study about this. One is in, this is where you need a pen or get out your phone to type them in. Galatians 2, 11 to 14. Or Genesis 20, 11. And Genesis 20, 11. This is a story of two men of enormous faith. Enormous faith. Some of the biggest faith guys in all the scripture. And so when you go to study them this week, you're going to see their struggle between fear of God and fear of man. One of them goes by the name of Abraham. And in Hebrews, he is the very definition of faith. And in the book of Galatians, he's the very definition of faith. The guy who would trust God with anything and everything, including his son on an altar. The other one is a a little apostle named Peter, who was willing to walk on water and trust God for that. This is the picture of two men who we see as stalwarts of faith, who failed wide open a number of times in their life because they feared men instead of fearing God. The short story, when Paul was hanging out with just the Gentiles, or when Peter was hanging out with just the Gentiles, he would act a certain way. And he was free in the grace of God and not submitting to the law. And then the Jews came around and all of a sudden he started acting different. And he was like, "Eh, I better start acting this way to make sure they're okay with me. And you know who called him to account, right? A guy named Paul walks up and says, Peter, you're a hypocrite, man. You're fearing the Jews. This is the gospel. Stand on it. And the other one, Abimelech, there's an there's a Abraham with a guy named Abimelech. He's traveling around and he finds this guy named Abimelech who's a king. 
and he's scared to death of Abimelech. Why is he scared of Abimelech? Anybody know? Yeah, because apparently Abraham's wife, Sarah, was really good looking. And he knew how the system worked back then. And he knew that if I come walking a lonely vagabond out here in the wilderness and I stumble across this king and he sees my beautiful wife, he's got a game plan. It's to cut my throat and take my wife. And so you know what he does? He pulls Sarah aside and he says, yeah, I want you to do me a favor. Can you lie to Abimelech for me? And it says in the scripture that he asked her to lie. Can you lie to him for me and tell him that you're my sister so he can take you as his wife without killing me? This is Abraham, the father of our faith. We are children of Abraham. And this is what the quote is. This is what he says. When he says it to her, he says, There is no fear of God in this place, and surely he will want to take you as his wife. So he's saying, Abimelech doesn't have the fear of God, so he's not going to do what's right. So what we should do is you should lie, and I should give you to him as his wife. Who's the person who didn't have the fear of the Lord? Abraham. Here's the beautiful thing about it. As many years later, Sarah has her son Isaac. And God puts him to the test again. And it's in Genesis chapter 22. You'd probably want to study that one. And you know the story is that God actually tests Abraham again. And he says, this son who's going to make a nation out of you. I want you to put him on an altar and I want you to sacrifice him to me because that's what the gods of the day required of their people. And what God's doing is showing hyperbole between the difference between him and all the gods of the day. Abraham lays him on the altar and he raises his knife to actually kill his son because it's what God told him to do. And here is what the angel says to him. Listen, this is Genesis twenty-two twelve. The angel of the Lord said, do not lay a hand on the boy and do not do anything to him Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me from your son, your only son. What's the wisdom of man say when God says, put your son on an altar and sacrifice him? The wisdom of man says, this is a metaphor. I don't actually have to do that. God's trying to make a point. You know what the fear of God says? It's not my job to figure out what God's thinking. It's my job to hear from God and obey him. If I want God's vision, then I ask for it. I ask for faith and I ask for wisdom. And he says, I'll give it to you. But when I give it to you, well, you got to ask in faith and you got to submit to it and obey. When we have the fear of the Lord in our lives, there are three things. We get this Bible and we start studying it and we say, God, what do you want for my life? Give me spiritual insight. Help me to know. Help me to hear this voice above all other voices. And then there's this constant prayer that I begin to pray that says, God, let me see you in the situation. Not see the circumstances, but see you in the situation. And then there's this broken confession that we bring to the Lord that says, I know that I'm afraid of all sorts of other things. Help me with my unbelief. Help me with my fear. 
I know that Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump right now are going to do everything they can to play on our fears in the next six months of our life. You know? That's politics right now. I mean, that's how you game votes. Name the fear and then say that we have the solution. But I want to suggest to us that God invites us into a place of fear, to the deepest fears that we have, and then he wants to relieve us of our fears. And this is how he relieves us of our fears. He takes our greatest fears. He takes our greatest concerns. He takes the thing that is most horrific that could happen to us in the loss of our child, in pain and suffering, in no way out, in being misunderstood, in being abandoned. And he takes all of it and he puts it on himself. And he says, you don't have to fear. I've got you. I've got you. I am willing to walk out your darkest and your deepest fears. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Follow me. Don't try to avoid your fears. Try to find me. That's his call to us. And so we're going to go into a place of communion now at the end of this. And we're going to ask God that he would again take all of the places in our life where we have struggled with the iniquities of our culture, whether it's chasing after consumerism, whether it's our greed and we're, we're held tight, whether it's our fear of man and being worried about what everyone else has said, whether it's the pride and trying to do things by our own strength over and over again, the things we've talked about. And we want to bring them to the altar today and say, God, we don't have the wisdom, the insight, or the power to fix these things in our life. We submit ourselves to you and we realize how much we need you. We don't want to look anywhere else. We want to look to you. We want to look to you.